Thank you very much. Can we give them a round of applause? That was. And we're not we're not applauding their performance, obviously. Uh, we are we are giving thanks for what they did. They they practiced during the week. They got here early uh, to lead us in worship. So thank you very much, Robin and your team. Um, I want to give you guys a reminder. It's been uh, it's been a number of months since we we preached on this, but um, we have this mic up here for a reason. That we're of the belief that that God wants to speak through more than just myself or Robin and the worship team this morning, that maybe God has put something on your heart that he wants to address the church, address the people who've gathered here today. And so we wanted to kind of make room for the Holy Spirit in that way. So if you, if you have something that's on your heart, that you believe that God is wanting to, to share with the church, then I would encourage you, and it can happen anytime. Like you don't have to wait till the end of the service or anything like that. If you have something stirring in you, and it's from God. We want to hear it right away. So if that's happening, just find Robin and uh, and just kind of pull him aside and say, I think I have something I want to share and, and just kind of share briefly what it is with him. And then then he'll kind of bring you up here and then you get to address the church. And that might sound scary and everything, but it's really not. It's just simply sharing what God's put on your heart. And, and it could be anything really. So we want to just remind you that that's always available. That's not just on a particular Sunday that's always available for, for any Sunday. Does that make sense? All right. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been feel, filled with such fear and anxiety that you want to run away and hide? Anyone experience that? All right. I'm not talking about the fear that comes from when, you know, your physical safety is in danger. I'm talking about where the fear and anxiety that comes because there's something inside that says that I am not safe emotionally. I'm not safe where I am as a person because I don't want others to know about the real me. Right? There's that fear that what if my secret sins, what if my struggles, all of that becomes public? What if they find out that I have this kind of addiction or this kind of a habit? Or what if they find out that I'm secretly the president of the Polka King himself, Walter Austinak, um, the king and the, the president of his fan club? What if that came out? What would people think of me? Right? What if, what if I offered you this microphone right now? And you came up and you shared that with everybody. How would, how would anyone feel? Anyone want to do that? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? No, right? No one wants to do that. That's crazy. Because we're afraid, understandably, but we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of what will people think? What will people do? Well, we kind of know what they'll do, right? They'll run from us. They'll abandon us. They want nothing to do with us. Because... The voice of shame is sometimes whispering, sometimes screaming that there's something wrong with us. And it's a voice of shame that entered through Adam and Eve in the garden that has plagued every single person ever since. See, in the beginning, we, we, we read this in Genesis that God made man in his own image. He made Adam and Eve, male and female, in the image of God. That, that doesn't mean that talking about their physical appearance. Right? It's not that God is, you know, on average five foot 11 and, and so forth. That's not what it's referring to physically. It's rather referring to the heart, to the core of Adam and Eve. They were made in the image of God. That doesn't mean they were God. It doesn't mean that they, they became God in any way, but they were a reflection of God. 
So maybe a good way to kind of think of that is think about a mirror. Right. When you look in the mirror this morning and, and you were seeing you weren't seeing you, you weren't seeing the actual you. You're merely seeing a reflection of you. And that's essentially what happened with Adam and Eve is that God was their mirror. Or in other words, man was God's mirror, that man, Adam and Eve weren't God, but they are a reflection of God. But it works the other way around where God becomes the reflection for Adam and Eve. So what that means is if Adam and Eve ever had a worry, ever wondered, am I okay? Do I have value? Do I have significance? Am I loved? Who do they need to turn to? They turn to God because God's their mirror. And if God's okay, then I must be okay. If God's lovable, therefore I must be lovable. If God's worthy and acceptable, therefore I must be worthy and acceptable. So God was their mirror. It was real simple that way. But then, then they sinned, right? Then they blew it. Then they, they were disconnected and separated from God. In essence, God was no longer their mirror. They could no longer look to God to determine whether they were okay or not. So what ends up happening now is they have all these questions, losing sight of that mirror, losing sight of God. Am I all right? Am I, am I still lovable? Am I still acceptable? Do I fit in? Do I belong? What's going on? And they have all these questions. And so where do they begin to turn? They turn to one another. And so what ends up happening is we now make other people our mirrors. We look to other people to answer the question, how am I doing? Am I lovable? Am I acceptable? And so we have other people becoming our mirrors now. And so these questions, am I loved? Am I acceptable? These are, these are questions that are burning within our soul that everyone else needs to answer. The problem is shame's trying to answer it for us. And shame is screaming at us, no. No, you're not okay. You'll never be okay because there's something wrong with you. And if anyone ever found out, then you're screwed. And then you're doubly screwed because you got a problem and everyone knows it. So you can't let anyone know all this. And so we spend our whole lives now trying to prove shame wrong, trying to overcome this voice of shame. But here's our problem. It'll never work. Because shame's never convinced, because deep down we're not convinced. Deep down, we actually agree and believe shame is right because we know what we struggle with. We know what's going on inside of us. And so we have all these fears and insecurities. And so others become my mirror. And I'm now looking to the people, what can I do to gain their affection, to gain their approval? And so I come up to Dale and I say, what do I need to do to get Dale's approval? And Dale says, well, if you rub your belly, then that's, then you're okay. And that's weird, but you know what? I can do that. I mean, it doesn't cost me very much. And if that gains Dale's approval for me, then all right, I'll do that. Right? So I'll rub my belly around, around Dale. And guess what? He's smiling. So it must be working. Right? And then, then I'll come over to Craig and Craig says, well, I want you to tap your head. And I'm like, that's, that's actually weirder, but okay, I'll do that. And I'm, I'm tapping my head to get, get Craig's effect. But no, no, I got to rub my belly to get Okay, here we go, right? And I'm, I'm now trying to do all this, but now I'm, I'm in big trouble because now there's Ian, and Ian's a tough guy. Ian doesn't actually like it when I tap my head. So I got to now make a choice. Who do I keep happy? Who's love? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry, I got you, I got you, right? 
whose, whose love do I try to win and earn? And the problem is, it's never going to be enough because always, I always got to keep working, always got to keep striving. And that's just three people. We're in a, we're in a room with more than three people. And so we're, we're going to struggle trying to keep all these different groups happy. When I was in university, uh, I, was, I remember I was part of a race car team. And when I was, when I was uh, at church with my friends, you know, the rub the belly thing was talk like Christians do, right? So with my friends, we'd get together after the message, after the sermon, and we'd talk about how great the sermon was and what God was doing in our lives. And, and that was our way of rubbing our bellies. But then when I, Monday morning would come along and I'd go into school and I was part of the race car team, I'd show up in the race car shop, and now it was, well, tap your head, tell dirty jokes to gain approval. And, and so it was just whatever group I was in, I was trying to win, earn that acceptance. But no matter how good you get at, at discerning the rules at figuring it out and striving at them and, and playing everyone's games, it's never going to work. It's never going to be enough. And that's why we need God's grace. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we've come to maybe the most famous passage in the entire book of Ephesians. I mean, this one's often quoted, and it's, it's such a powerful passage. And so I'm so glad you're here this morning, because I think God wants to encourage you and bless you. So we're going to read this passage. And uh, maybe what we can do is everyone stand up. I'm going to read it along with me. You can follow along on the screen here. But everyone, let's stand up, and let's, let's read this passage as a group. So Ephesians 2, 8, verses 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. Father, we're so excited what you're going to say to us this morning. This powerful truth of grace. Grace that sets us free. Grace that sets us alive. Grace that, that lets us live. I pray, Father, that you do something very powerful, very special this morning as we search your word and understand who we are to you and who you are to us. In your name we pray, amen. Grab a seat. Well, ever since I left engineering and I went into ministry, I've been teaching these conferences called the Grace Life Conference. And I've, I've taught it more times than I can count. And I've had the privilege of going all over you know, Ontario taking this conference and, you know, into various churches and so forth. And I remember one time, many years ago, this one church invited me to come and, and do a conference there. And so I was meeting with one of the pastors to kind of get ready and sort out, you know, all the little details and everything. And this guy, this pastor said to me how excited he was that I was coming because he says grace was one of the pillars of their church. And it struck me as a very odd statement. The one of. It, it made it sound like grace on its own wasn't enough. That you need grace plus six other things. And if you can get grace in those six other things, then everything would be okay. And so it's important. It's just part of. But I don't think that's how Apostle Paul understood it. I think the Apostle Paul understood grace as something else. So in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul writing to his protege, he says this, that the grace of God appeared in bringing salvation to all men. 
Now let's think about that for a moment. Who appeared? Who brought salvation to all men? It was Jesus. See, I want you to understand that grace is not just an aspect. It's not a part. It's not a pillar. It's not a portion of the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the good news because grace is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And so it's not that we need grace plus something else because that would say that Jesus isn't enough. We just need grace. In fact, we need more grace because we need more Jesus because he's what we need. He's our answer. But too often we haven't really understood what grace is and what it does and the power of grace. And so we try to supplement grace with all kinds of other things, thereby watering down and missing out on the power that grace is. So this morning, we're going to try to emphasize how awesome and wonderful grace is. So listen to these, these statements we've got here. The first one, grace is the unquestioned, unequivocal, unflinching, never changing, limitless love and acceptance of a perfect and holy God where he is forever and eternally on your side. It's easy to read that statement and go, yeah, yeah, I get that. I believe that. But do we? I mean, do we really, really believe that? And you see, the test, the test of grace is not on the good days. The test of grace is not when everything's sunny and shiny and everything's going fine and wonderful. The test of grace, grace is really proven in failure. When things don't go well, when things, things kind of go off the rails. So is grace still true when you've yelled at your kids because they wouldn't stay in bed at night and you just lost it on? Does grace still hold when your spouse shoots you a look so cold it could freeze a lava flow? Are you still loved and accepted after you've gone online and visited pornographic websites and talked to people who are not your spouse? Are you still pure and clean when things went too far with a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Has God's opinion changed in any way, for better or for worse, after what's happened this week. See, grace says none of that matters. None of that really matters. None of that fits in because God's already decided. He's already made up his mind about you. And nothing, and I mean nothing, can change it. Nothing can make you love him less. Nothing can make him love you more. See, the other side of the statement is this. Grace guarantees that God will never turn against, reject, fail, punish, or abandon you. Grace allows God to promise you this, because I now live inside you, joined as one spirit with you. I will stand by your side no matter what. We've, as parents, Joy and I, we've tried to raise our kids with, with a few different mottos. And these mottos are meant to be repeated so they can remember them and easy to remember. And one of those mottos is mama and daddy are always on your side. See, it works. Always on your side. And we've drilled it into that. And we, we chose that phrase more than just saying we love you because we wanted them to know that, yeah, we love you, but we're for you. We're absolutely for you. 
And nothing's going to turn that. Nothing's going to turn us against you. Meaning everything we're doing, we're here for you. We're fighting for you. We're doing what's in your best interest. We're wanting you to succeed. We're wanting to see you do well. And nobody, I mean, nobody will ever turn us against you because we're not out to get you. We're out to love you and look after you. And that's our heart as a parent. Do you think somehow that we're joining our better parents than God is to us? Of course not. Because where did that desire come from? It came from the father, the ultimate parent. But I think sometimes we think that our sins and our failures separate us from God, that somehow God's afraid of our sins, that, that it's just he's too embarrassed to be around us. It's like back in high school again, right, where, you know, you're sitting at the table and God's about to sit with you. But if he did, then the angels would begin talking. So he's going to sit over here until you get your act together because he's just embarrassed to be seen by you. That's ridiculous. He's never ashamed of you. He'll never, 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 ever leave you nor forsake you. Because God's grace is not conditional, nor is it temporary. It doesn't fluctuate. See, grace, by definition, cannot be deserved, earned, achieved, or worked for. It can only be given as a free gift with no strings or conditions attached. Free gift. That's like wet water. Right? It's just repeating yourself. It's, it's a free gift. But how often have we understood grace as a free gift? Often what we do is we treat grace as, as a bit of a wage. That if I've done this and I've read my Bible and I've prayed and I've, I've really seeked after God, then, then I'm going to seek God's grace. It's not our answer. The answer can't be you and I. The answer can't be in our own effort, in our struggles. That's not where it's coming from. But you see, we often attach something to God's grace, and maybe because we think it's just too good to be true. I mean, we've kind of, we've kind of grown up in a world that says there's no such thing as a free lunch, and that you need to earn whatever is coming your way. And so you just gotta, you just gotta make sure you're, you're going for it. You gotta make sure you're working, making sure you're doing all things right and checking the angles, making sure you haven't missed anything, make sure you haven't dropped the ball somewhere. And then you can know, I know, okay, now I know God loves me. But the reality is, we just need to receive it. And maybe that's why it just seems too easy almost irresponsible of us. Because, you know, the truth is anything worth having must be worth paying for. And you know, in a real way, that's true. See, God's grace is free to you and I, but it did come at a cost. It came at an enormous cost. See, grace is only possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His obedience, his death, burial, and resurrection are all that is required to make grace available. See, grace is not a mutual action. It's not God says, I'll give you grace if you do this, and that, you know, it's this mutual transaction. That's not what it is. 
is completely, entirely one-sided. It's the one-sided determination by God to offer life to anyone who wants to receive it. Grace is all about what God does for you and I, regardless of what you have or will do, for good or for bad. It's all about Jesus and his obedience to the cross. It's not about your obedience. I think sometimes we struggle with this idea, this fear, because if that's really true, that's really true, what's going to prevent someone from just going crazy? I mean, what's, what's really going to keep people in line? I mean, if there's, if there's no grace, then people are just going to go and live crazy, wicked, sinful lives. But that's, again, not understanding grace. Grace is far more than just a permission to sin. And Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Grace doesn't make sin okay. Sin always hurts you every time. Thinking somehow that grace encourages sin or makes it okay simply means that you don't understand what grace does. See, it's not a free pass to sin, but it's rather the freedom to not sin. See, grace is a power that has fundamentally not just changed, but exchanged your heart. It's exchanged our nature and restored us to God where he now permanently lives inside of us. See, I think sometimes we look at grace as something that we've been given. It's a gift, and I lay hold of it, and I receive it, and it's now mine, but it's kind of external. It's like someone, you know, gives you a gift of a watch, and you get the gift, and it thank you, and you put on the watch, and it's there, but the watch hasn't really changed you. You haven't really been changed. And that's, I think, somehow we've, we've looked at this gift of grace. But maybe a better way to understand God's grace, the gift, is to think of it as a heart transplant. See, if someone gives you the gift of a heart or any kind of organ transplant, it changes you, right? Especially a heart transplant. I mean, they take out the old, defective, diseased, broken down, not working anymore, almost virtually dead heart, and throw it away, and they give you a new heart. One that's healthy, one that's alive, one that's going to provide strength and life to you. And that's what God's done. He's changed us on the inside by exchanging the old self for a new self. The old spirit has been taken out and crucified with Christ in order that you can become a new person that is joined to Jesus. And that life, that power is now inside of us. That power is a present tense strength to live today. Let's, let's go back to Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. That's where Paul kind of defined grace for us. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men. But look what grace does. It's grace that's instructing us to deny ungodliness. It's grace that's teaching us to deny the worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Grace does this. It teaches, it trains, it empowers us to live healthy lives, to make good choices. See, if you need to somehow balance grace, 
with anything else, with the rules, the do's, the don'ts, the laws, and so forth, it's because you don't actually believe grace can prevent you from making bad choices. And so now you're trusting in their own strength, trusting in your own abilities, not Jesus anymore, because you think you can do a better job than Jesus can of making good choices. And guess what? We all have a track record that says, no, <laughs> you don't. In fact, you're an utter failure at that. And so we don't need these rules. We've got Jesus. This last one's special. Only grace produces an environment where people can live free and be who God has made them. This one's special because it's such a gift to us. Only grace produces an environment where people can live free and be who God has made them. Because grace doesn't demand that you've got it all figured out. Grace doesn't demand that you've got the right theology. It doesn't demand that you've, you're doing all the right things and you're checking off all the right boxes. It doesn't demand that you've overcome all your habits and your hurts and, and, and you've, you've mastered that and you're, you're just running down this, this road of life and everything's running smoothly. Grace actually gives you the gift to be a work in progress. That you're still figuring stuff out. You're still dealing with stuff. You're still struggling. You're still blowing it and making bad choices. Grace says that's okay. You don't have to work for it anymore. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to earn everyone's affection and approval. Because grace says you're okay right now. Even though you haven't got it all figured out, even though you're still struggling, I still love you. I still accept you. You, you matter to me. You belong to me. You're mine. Even in all your mess. In fact, you don't need to earn other people's approval so much so you can now invite them into your mess. You can invite them into your struggles so they can stand by you and say, let's fight this together. Let's, let's walk this journey together where I remind you each step of the way that this doesn't make you more lovable. This doesn't make you more acceptable. It just means you get to live freer. You get to live in a way that you already have been designed and created. And what's amazing is when you experience that kind of environment, when you invite other people into your mess and they see it and they don't go running, they're not terrified by it. That sends an answer, that sends a message to shame. Shame, shame doesn't know what to do with that. Because shame said, if they find out, they're out of here. But in an environment of grace, when people come running to you in that mess, shame is a loss for words. So let's see how we can apply this passage. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 are verses. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We want to apply this verse, this, this passage, in three parts. Number one, receive grace from God. Receive grace from God. He's got this gift for you and I. All you need to do is receive it. 
All you need to do is acknowledge it as your gift. It belongs to you. Well, what's the gift? There's been a, a lot of commentators have kind of debated this passage on what the gift is. And, and some commentators said, well, the gift is faith. That God has given to us faith, allowing us to believe in order that we can have grace, in order that we can be saved. And they've, they've emphasized that the gift is faith because they want to make sure that nobody can boast. No one can take, take um, pride in their salvation. And so God has to give you that, that faith in order to be saved. There's two problems with it, with that understanding. Number one, grammatically, it doesn't hold water. And we're going to see why in a bit. So the grammar doesn't support that idea. But here's the other problem with that. If faith itself is the gift and God has given you faith in order for you to believe, that means there are some people who don't believe. That means God hasn't given them the gift of faith. And that's not right. Because that would say that they have a reason for not believing and it's God's fault. When yet scripture tells us that none will be without excuse. Faith is a choice we make. Faith is a response we take. So faith itself is not the gift. See, the, the gift is something else. And to understand that, we got to understand a little bit about the, the grammar and, and specifically the Greek language. The Greek language is a highly inflected language, which is very different than the English language. The English language is a, almost virtually zero inflection on the language. So what does that mean? Well, an inflected language simply means that the endings of a word define what kind of a word that is. Is it the object? Is it the subject? Is it the predicate? And all those other grammar terms that I really don't understand very well, right? That's all found in the endings of the word. And so the, the, the root word or the base is there, and then it can change. Again, is it a verb, past tense, present tense, plural, singular, and all that sort of thing. English we don't really do a whole lot of that. I mean, basically, the only inflected we have is we'll add an apostrophe S at the end of it. That's pretty much it. Maybe an ED, a past tense sort of thing. But we don't really have an inflected language like they do in the Greek. And so what that means is, in English, order matters. Right? Order is very important in terms of how things are laid out. Right? So if I have Bob hits Fred, that's very clear. Everyone knows who's doing the hitting, Bob, and who's being hit is Fred. And you know that because of the order that it's laid out, right? We start with the, the subject and then we end with the object. Does that make sense? But in the Greek, they don't have to do that. Because in the Greek, they can, they can add what's the object and the direct object and all that sort of thing. They can add that in the endings. So the order could be all over the place. You could have Bob, Fred, hit, and it would still have the same meaning. You can have hit, Fred, Bob, and it had the same meaning in the Greek. And so you have to kind of understand the grammar a bit more. Well, the subject here in, the, in this verse is the gift, but it comes at the end of the sentence in the, in the grammar. And so that's what's why the translators have kind of put that at the end. But a better translation might be this. For the gift of God is... By grace, you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, what's the gift? That you've been saved by faith. Saved by grace, sorry. Through faith. Meaning that God says, here's my gift to you. You're saved. You're given new life. You're restored. You're redeemed. You're made holy. 
You've made righteous. You've made lovable and acceptable and perfect and clean. Not because of what you've done, but by by grace, by what I've done. By grace, you've been saved. Now, do you lay hold of it? Do you receive it? Do you trust it? How do I do that? By faith, by trusting that Jesus, what he did on the cross is enough. So that's our response. So first application, just receive the gift. Acknowledge it's yours. And it's not just a one-time moment for salvation. Please understand that. Please don't look at it and go, oh, I did that so many years ago. No, no, no. Yeah, you did that, and that gets you into heaven one day. But right now, you need to experience that grace. Right now, you need to know that you're loved and accepted. Otherwise, if you don't know it right now, you're going to struggle because you're going to be trying to earn it and prove it. So that's our second application. Second application, then, is offer and receive this grace for yourself. See, it's not enough to know that God loves you. It's not enough to know that God accepts you. The question is, will you love and accept yourself? Because if you don't, if you don't offer this grace to yourself, and you don't know that you're okay as you are with all your mess and all your struggles, then you're going to be under a different system of perform betterism, where you have all these rules, all these lists, all these things that you need to do in order that then you can accept yourself. In essence, what you've done is you said, God, I've got higher standards than you. And what you did wasn't enough. That sure, you can love and accept me as I am, but I, I expect more from myself than you do. And if only, Jesus, you did more, I'd be okay. But you're not. So it's up to me now to perform better, to do more, in order to love and accept myself. And you'll never get there. You'll be like that horse who's got the carrot, you know, just always two feet in front of him. No matter how hard he runs, how fast he goes, he'll never catch it. You'll never be good enough. So accept God's grace and apply it to yourself by offering and receiving that grace for yourself. Give yourself permission to accept yourself with all your perceived flaws and shortcomings. You can love yourself despite the number of sins and the number of bad habits you currently struggle with. If you drink Pepsi, it's okay. You're still loved. You're still acceptable. You can love yourself even if you never get better or even if you never promise to get better. It's where you are today. And look what happens here. Because again, people get scared. People get frightened by grace. But don't you don't need to, because listen to what it says. For the gift of God is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's what grace does. Here's what it produces. No more boasting. Humility. Compassion. Understanding to others. A safe place to heal and overcome sin together. And the freedom to fail. Freedom to make mistakes. 
which leads us into our, our third application. So the first application is receive the gift from God. Second one is offer and receive this grace for yourself. And the number three, offer this grace to other people. And the reality is, if you've done one and two, you can't stop doing number three. I want you to, I want you to know a secret here at New Life. We're, we're not primarily interested in perfect performance. Amen, Robin. Isn't that good this morning after this morning, Eric? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we're not interested in perfect performance. It doesn't mean we don't try and do well. I mean, we're trying. We're trying. But that's not our goal. It's not to be slick and smooth and have everything run smoothly up here and everything be great and clean and, and you be wowed. That's not success for us. We don't define success that way. We'd much rather define success as being fully known. Where I can be honest with who I am and where I'm at, and you can know me and love me. That's what we're after. That's what we're shooting for. Not, not this somehow perfect behavior. Think of it this way. <clears throat> What if, what if I got up here and I said to you, hi, my name is Ross and I haven't had anything to drink. I haven't used any drugs. I haven't looked at pornography or even worn acid wash jeans in the last six months. Okay. Three months ago, I wore acid wash jeans, but it was for a party. It was a good reason. And it was brief. Okay. But other than that, I've been sober and clean for six months. Is that success? Well, that's kind of the equivalent of saying, I've had nothing poisonous to eat for six months. Well, good. That, that's good. That's good. Because poison is, well, it's poison, right? It kills you. So good for you for not taking poison. That's not enough. That's, that's not enough to provide life. Avoiding something bad does not necessitate that I'm experiencing something that's good. See, sobriety, right behavior, is too small of a goal. We want something more. What we want to know is we want to know, we want to know Father. We want to know Jesus. We want to know the Holy Spirit. We want to experience life in Him. And the only way that that's ever going to happen is if you know and understand that the grace of God gives you the right, gives you the permission to run to him. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter when you did it. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. And it doesn't matter that you're going to do it again tomorrow. God's grace says, come, run to me. Let me pick you up and hold you in my arms that I might love on you because that's what you need in this moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we celebrate who you are and what you've done. This, this grace is, like I said, it seems too good to be true, and yet it's true. Every part of it is true. And we don't deserve it, and we didn't earn it, and we didn't achieve it, but that's why it's grace. That's why it's a free gift. 
You have paid the price. You have done it. You have offered it to us. And I pray for each and every person here, every man, woman, and child, that we would take the chance, that we would risk trusting that your grace is enough, that your grace is all that we need, and we don't need to do something else. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to supplement in order that we'll be okay. But because of your grace and because of what your son, Jesus Christ, has done on the cross, we already are loved and accepted. That you're our mirror. That I can look at you and say, since you're enough, therefore I'm enough. Since you're not too much, I'm not too much. Since you're loved, I'm loved. And that we would offer that grace to ourselves. In your name we pray, amen.